You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? This is the My Aggie Nation podcast. I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle. We got a whole Aggie roundtable of goodness today. First, it's Alex Miller of the Eagles. Well, Alex, how's it going? Going well. And then we got the, uh, the the Godfather, one of the Godfathers of the My Aggie Nation podcast, back with us, Zach Taylor. Zach, how's it? How's it going? It's hanging, man. Good, good. And then our special guest, the guy who is traveling all across God's green earth right now with all of his jobs. That's Andrew Monaco, the voice of the Aggies. How's Tampa treating you, Andrew? Uh, Tampa is treating me well. It's warm, which is <laughs> has been a nice change from the I'm last. Jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous. Yeah, I, I I've really got a am. flannel, a vest, and I've got my heavy jacket that I wore to work, and I was still cold. So, well, both I'm, Andrew and I were kind of freezing our, our buns off at uh, the last day of the Frisco Classic a couple days ago. So it's probably a welcome uh, 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 change of seat pace scenery for you, Andrew. Uh, the toes have finally thawed out on <laughs> Sunday. Well, let's go ahead and get started there, uh, Andrew, with, with a little Aggie baseball. We'll save the, the, the goodness of Aggie men's basketball for last. But uh, baseball, a little bit of an interesting start, uh, a little bit of a slow start maybe to the Jim Schlossnagel era. What's kind of been your initial take on uh, Aggie baseball and, and where they've gotten so far? I think the absolute positive is the starting pitching by Texas A&M and the way Jim Schlossnagel talked about it, it's you set up your pitching staff, not just for this year, but in the future. So you have someone like Nathan Detmer on a Friday has some experience of pitching in the sec last year, Mike Dallas, although he hasn't pitched in the sec has skins on the wall from pitching at tech. And then as Jim Schlossnagel says, your Sunday starter, usually a freshman for this year and for years in the future, uh, in Ryan Prager and then Christian Curtis being your your Tuesday starter. So with an eye on this year and an eye for the future, except for Friday's start by Nathan Detmer, which was a bit of an, an anomaly, the starting pitching has been good. You notice I haven't brought up the relief pitching. That's where you've got to find out who is going to be in what role, I think, earlier. Great job by Paulish and Cortez on Saturday in the win in the Frisco Classic, but still some things to figure out. And hitting has been hit and miss. They're leaving a lot of runners on base. Good news, getting on. Bad news, not driving everyone in. They left runners in scoring position. Instead of having that loss on Sunday to Wichita State, you drive in some of those earlier runs. Does that help the bullpen down the line? You don't know. But I think there's still some adjustment about, about who is going to pitch when and who's going to be in that comfort zone. Do you start a clean inning? Are you comfortable coming in with runners on? things like that. The lineup seems to be coming. It really does. We, we've noticed that lineup. Um, and it's had to be juggled, has it not, with Trevor Werner in and out of that lineup. And we've seen Cole Kaler in Frisco. He played second, third, and short uh, during during that classic. So um, things that are still coming together, but has to be kind of quick with that SEC season right around the corner. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Andrew on that one, too. I mean, especially Micah Dallas, because, again, a transfer, he's coming in. He's now finally got a shot to be in that starting rotation on the weekend. He's been tremendous uh, so far. But yeah, when you look at the back of the pin, you knew that Moo Minifee was going to be a guy that they were going to lean heavily on this year. I think they're still going to lean heavily on him, but he is not, uh, you know, as far as looking at the numbers, as far as what he's done, it hasn't been a great start for him. So he's a guy that really needs to get it together if they want to be able to sew up that back 
the back of the bullpen and be able to uh, to accomplish what they need to. And yeah, early on too, and Andrew was talking about how the, the lineup is coming. I think that's true. And early on in the season, especially in colder weather, you kind of have to take things with a grain of salt, right? Especially when it comes to hitting. You don't know if those guys are warmed up yet figuratively and literally. So, and you got also got a lot of new players that are trying to gel right now. And, and I get it's a little bit different than maybe it would be in basketball and football, but you're still, you have a nucleus of guys that a lot of them have not played together before, and they're still trying to figure each other out. So everyone knew that there were going to be some growing pains. Everybody knew it was going to be a bit of a learning curve under a new head coach. Um, there's obviously been some good things. There's been some bad things, but sewing up or shoring up that bullpen, I think has to be the number one priority right now. Yeah. I mean, uh, you mentioned the, uh, the guys left on base, I think in the first eight games for the Frisco classic, that was 75 batters left on base. Uh, the interesting thing I'll see, and I, I agree with you, starting pitching has been pretty fantastic. Micah Dallas has been lights out and talking with Micah, Three-pitch guy, and that slider is something he's really trying to work on, incorporate more. So kind of really a two-pitch guy moving forward through these first couple of games. It's done well for him so far. He's going to need to build up that slider once they start getting into SEC play. Um, so that'll that'll be an interesting thing. Andrew, I know your great work is having conversations with these guys, getting to know them beyond the diamond. Who are some of these players that have stood out to you that you've gotten to talk to, or even some of the coaches, coaching staff that have really peaked your interest in and some of the personalities surrounding the program you know uh as you know we started the baseball show the aggie baseball hour this year jim schlossnagel did something like this at the tcu and he wanted to add it here and i think it's fascinating to be able to do it and and to have for me personally jimbo then buzz and now coach Schloss uh, all year to talk to them it is a lot of fun it's still learning uh, i i always talk about words i use the buzz words we use Still learning that with Coach Lossnagel about certain things. And, and the more I get to talk with him, the more you I learn about his dynamics, how he wants that first, he wants that first batter to get on. It's one thing to get a two-out hit. That's really good, but your chances are limited to get him in. Can you get that first uh, batter on? And then can you move him up via stolen base and then have someone drive him in? Things like that. Micah Dallas was one of those guys, as as you talked about, Travis, and and I find that he's willingly uh, he's willingly accepts that role as okay. I, I'm the guy who has a lot of the experience, and normally you don't see a lot of strikeouts from him because you know he's a ground ball pitcher. But the strikeouts are great, which tells me that that slider is moving. And we had Logan Britt on for the for the uh, first show that that we did, and I like the move to center field. I think this is a guy, and we saw a little bit in Frisco. Use all fields. I think last year he was more of a pull guy, but when he used all fields and I'm thinking of the game in Houston and I'm doing that broadcast with John Sheshik and he just loved the all around ability of Logan Britt. And then he threw someone out at the plate. And once he does that, then guys stop running on him. And that was as a right fielder. Now as a center center fielder, he can chew up an awful lot of ground. He and Brett Minnick are tall and I'm fascinated by the, the multi-sport stars, right? Logan, the football and the baseball, Minnick, the basketball and the and Minnick, if I'm not mistaken, on Saturday had one where he had to post up that foul ground, the wall there <laughs> yep. uh, to make to make a uh, uh, to make a catch. And then Dylan Rock, can he make that adjustment from UTSA? And he was thrilled because Dylan Rock was a was a man without a team when he knew he was going to transfer from UTSA, having grown up around AM, come to football games. He really wanted to come to AM and transfer here. But there was no coach at that time. What, what he told us, the, the story on, on Studio 12, was he wanted to come, no coach. Once Nolan Kane got here, 
Nolan Kane told Schloss, hey, UTSA played at LSU. We couldn't get this guy out. And that kind of opened the eyes uh, as well for him to come here. What does Kalai Harrison do in year number two? Um, obviously, he's going to play every inning there at shortstop. How is he going to hit? Is that going to be the next level? I love watching Jack Moss bat, by the way. I think he is as good a bat. You know, uh, John Thornton in basketball talked about the poise of Boots Radford late in a shot clock or an inbound. I think there's a poise to Jack Moss at the plate. You want to try to sneak a first pitch fastball, base hit. He can go to all fields, but he doesn't panic with two strikes. I think he's sometimes even more difficult to get when you get the two two strikes on him. So those are the things. Cole Kaler, obviously, we've seen. I think Troy Clonch becomes as important a person on this team, not just in the lineup, but his experience and how he is going to affect that pitching staff, that quarterback on the field to, to mix metaphors and, and and sports. And I think it's going to be a lasting impact for the pitchers and also the lasting impact for the catchers on this squad, what they will learn from him. Yeah. Dylan rock, a guy who has uh, pretty much every time he's gotten on base, he's trying to sweep swipe a bag and has done pretty, pretty good jobs on that. Alex, our, uh, our, our local food reporter, I think has, has a question, Alex. <laughs> yeah. You know, Andrew, did you get any good food up in Frisco and you got, you got your eye out on any spots over in Tampa this week in, in Tampa first and foremost, I will be looking for a Cuban sandwich. So I'm mm. on that look right after this. I'm, I'm, I'm on my look. I had a great one at the orange bowl from Miami. Uh, so looking for that, especially in this area, Frisco, no, because it was up and back for me. So mm-hmm. I went up on Friday, came back, did basketball Saturday, up and back again. Uh, so I did not get uh, to take advantage. And Alex, as you know, Thomas Dick is a foodie as well. SID for um, baseball. Uh, he had, I think it was Tommy's Tamales was up there. And there was one other place wanted to go to. But yeah, you try to check out something, something local if possible. But I couldn't do it in Frisco. I'm on the search here in Tampa. I, I can confirm that the the pretzel at Writers Ballpark was slightly above average. It was, was it? Yeah, it was slightly above. It was a little cold, slightly yeah, yeah. above average. It is no Ben's pretzel. There, no. Nothing compares no. to Ben's pretzel. No, you, you knew you knew the bar was low when Thomas said that the pretzels are uh, at at that ballpark in the past were subpar and really subpar. So yeah. for you to get above average. That, something really happened. Maybe slightly, it was just the slightly above. Yeah. So <laughs> let's go ahead some and more salt here. to the ingredients or something. <laughs> I went salt, uh, you know, saltless, saltless, unsalted. So You're salty enough. I am salty enough. Now, if you go pro tip for everybody, if you go to an A&M baseball game, get a Ben's pretzel. First off, amazing. They're delicious. But this year added on, you can get a little bit of cinnamon sugar poured onto that. And it is fantastic really yeah i did not know that little huh. little, little cinnamon sugar dust it's it, it, it'll change your life so on that note <laughs> let's go ahead and shift over to aggie men's basketball who've been doing some sweet things lately see that see that oh. i'm coming for your job oh. andrew. i'm coming for your job um <laughs> andrew what's a what what the, the, it's a team that I know Buzz Williams called it heartbreak when they were going through that eight game uh, uh, losing skid. They were able to win, I believe, was it uh, 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 three of or four of four or five there in the in the final stretch, and they're going in the SEC tournament. What's what's that vibe like, and what have you seen from this team, especially in that last little bit that they've been able to win and, and have fun? They said. 
Yeah, you know what? I think that's it. And 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 it's it, it is a different vibe. It's interesting. Everybody wanted to know could they go 500 in the conference? They did. It's the way they got to 500 is what nobody expected. I don't know if anybody expected 4-0 to start. I know we didn't expect eight losses in a row. That's that's for sure. And then at, at the team we're playing tomorrow in Florida, um, you know, that started this five of six and winning the last four, especially that win at 25 Alabama seemed to really, really do a lot for the confidence here. So what Buzz has told us post game a lot of times is, you know what, I'm going to play the five. We're going to give us max effort. And that's that's where this starting five is now. Um, and, and he's going, I don't want to say positionless, but I think he's taken the labels away from players. You don't necessarily have to be a point guard to initiate the offense, but we can put the ball in Quentin Jackson's hands or Boots Radford's hands. Hey, it could be Wade Taylor or Hassan Diara. That's fine, the point guard, but sometimes they're not going to be on that floor. Um, and I, I like they're taking their shots. They're really running a more efficient offense, if, if you ask me, and they're finding the mismatches. That's what I like. I think that IQ is coming through. So, And I talked about that poos, uh, the poise of Boots. If he's got the mismatch, they put the ball in his hands, and then he just takes that guy usually to the rack, and he can finish left hand, right hand, very good around the around the rim. Late shot clock, ball in his hands. Same thing with, with Quentin Jackson, not a lot of panic. And when you've got a number 15 and Henry Coleman the third, that's the other thing. They now have a big three, which I think they were looking for. You talk about teams that are like as much as the chemistry was good and what the staff did putting this team together from recruiting and transfer portal, and they had the chemistry early, then it developed more in the SEC. What I found interesting in the eight, if 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 they had gotten blown out in all eight of those losses, I think it would have been really different. The frustrating part is they were a, a possession or two away in all of those games, and they talked about that thin line um, between winning and losing, but they kept they kept ending up on the losing side. They have found a way now to be more efficient on offense, get their shots. Look, everything still runs off their defense. And, and I think that's the thing. It travels. And it, it travels in conference. It travels on the road. Hopefully it travels here into the SEC tournament. But they really play everything out of their defense. Now that they are scoring on offense, you can set up that defense when the other team has to take the ball out of the out of the basket it gives them the chance to not turn it over to get a shot on the rim and get an offensive rebound they're very good it's the defensive rebounding that has gotten a lot better in these last six games they are not allowing the opposition second and third cracks at the basket they've really tightened that up for sure so i know the entire team as a whole has been playing better here of late but when you look at Quentin Jackson, and again, he's a guy that was leading the team in scoring already, coming off the bench. He was getting plenty of minutes that were in the ball game. But since he's been in that starting lineup, they've been five and one since he got in with the only loss coming to top ranked Auburn. Does that make any kind of difference when you have a guy like that in the starting five? Yeah, I think it does. Now, I I never minded him coming off the bench because I think he's a tough player to match from the other team's bench. Right. I don't think a lot of play, a lot of teams have a have a player like that, but I think it does give you more of those weapons. Like who is going to? You've got to choose who's going to guard Q now, and who's going to guard Boots. Your your big can take Coleman, but and if you don't have someone who is good enough to guard, and with the IQ of look, Quentin Jackson for much the early part of his career was exclusively downhill, and that led to the charges, and it would lead it would limit his minutes. 
But now that he's added a, a pull-up, now that he's added the penetration and he can pitch to a Henry Coleman or an Andre Gordon running the baseline, something like that, more dangerous. No, I don't I don't think it's it's a mistake. And see, I always thought you had your you had your maroon team, your starter, and your white team where your where your next five. And this team's deeper than a lot of teams. And to me, I would always joke with Dr. Thornton, like, okay, you you take maroon, I'll take white. I'm fine. I I like that five. But I just think this starting five is a little more energy. If they had a problem early in the season, they got off to slow starts and then had Mm -hmm. to dig out of holes. Even though they beat Missouri, they were down 11-0 by the second time out. They were down to Arkansas on the road, only to lose in overtime. I think this allows them to get off to a much quicker start and not have to play from behind. I think Quentin Jackson has had that kind of effect. Andrew, I know you sat down with one of your conversations with Quinton Jackson recently. Um, what were some of the highlights of that? Because, man, when you talk about guys who are enjoyable to interview and, mm-hmm. and always have something good to say, he's he's high on that list. Yeah, I needed I needed the long form to get more of what of what he appreciates about Buzz Williams, about how it's more than just uh, basketball for him and how life and how he's changed in just the three years here. You know, the other thing was. I wasn't sure at this time last year he was coming back. I don't think any of us knew knew what he was going to do. And I know early in the year I had, I had asked him about unfinished business, but I think he's been an integral part. I, I almost feel at times that this is the foundation year for Texas A&M basketball. But I think it's important that he and Dre and Haas and even a guy like Hayden Hefner have been here throughout, that they are part of this foundation and – Q has kind of set the tone with everybody else to have another valuable player like Boots, who's been through, you know, skins on the wall through the ACC at Virginia Tech. But for me, it was just how how he's grown as a person, how he's grown as a leader. He had mentioned a couple of times he needs to be a better leader for this team, how he has adopted Manny Obasiki and Wade Taylor, and that the legacy of Q is going to be through those guys similar to what Christian Kirk did for football for Travion Williams, similar to what Bobby Brown has done for those D linemen, I think DeMarvin Leal will do as well. To me, I I just needed a longer form and to get him on record of what A&M has meant to him and really what he has meant to A&M. I think he's been a big part of this team embracing fans, uh, being out in the community, if it's if it's passing out breakfast tacos, if it's going to midnight yell, I just you know the post game and and song them off with the Reed Rowdies, things like that. I, I think he's been a big part. I think he's a likable person, Travis. I really do, and and I'm glad that we had an extra year, and I'm happy for him because I think had it been had he had he gone on to whatever he was going to do next after two years. I think there would have been something nagging in that it was taken away from him. Not that he didn't give his all, that it was taken away an SEC tournament his first year. And then all of February, you know, COVID took that away from him. And I think this is much more fulfilling for him. But as a young man, his mom then texted me and said, she listened. I am amazed how mature he is. And that's something special when you hear that from from somebody's mother. Well, this is certainly a pivotal week for the a and men's basketball team in terms of their postseason hopes. You know, what do you kind of make of the Aggies' resume right now? What do you really feel like they need to do there in Tampa at the SEC tournament to, you know, maybe have a chance to back into the NCAA tournament or at least secure an NIT bid? I think as, as eye-opening as the win at Alabama was, I think they must beat Florida. Both teams on the bubble. It's a fascinating matchup. And then to meet Auburn, 
one, they have to play better against Auburn. I think they've got to beat Auburn to put themselves in consideration. I don't know if that does it all, but for them to get into the NCAA tournament and things still look, there's things out of their control that, that have to happen. You can't have, you know, one bid leagues losing and, and getting a second team in there. That that's going to hurt them. A lot of things, but I think having to win the first two is the first step. That's what they can control. Um, I believe there's a postseason somewhere for them right now, uh, but I think they could really lock up more. And I think that would be a very good thing for this team, but the NCAA would really be a validation for what the, they've done in this back third of the SEC conference. Um, a, a, and I'm interested to play Florida because even though that's when this run started, that wasn't a great game by AM. They took a great lead, but again, they just kind of hung on and needed Wade's um, three free throws. But then they really got it going. So it's going to be interesting to play Florida again with, I'm almost calling this a new team. And then how will they match up against Auburn, which I think is a tough, tough matchup with their length and, and what they do. I think they've got to take two to get consideration. Anything more than that really puts them in a good position. Yeah. yeah, you know, I thought it was interesting just like looking back at the last month because, you know, that uh, it was almost a month ago they went out on the road to Auburn and lost. And just reading the quotes from Bruce Pearl yesterday, you know, it, it's for certain that they're going to play the winner of AM in Florida. And he was just saying how they're probably a win or two away from making the NCAA tournament and uh, either are going to play with their hair on fire. So, you know, it, it seems like Auburn, at least, they're, they're not taking whoever they're going to play lightly, whether it's AM or Florida. And, and, and I don't think Auburn can afford to do that because, well, I, I mean, if you guys look at the SEC, nothing has really gone to form. There are some games you're watching going, well, how did that team beat that team? Because it's the SEC. I, look, Missouri was lost by a point to Auburn. I and mean, there were the scares by Auburn. And I think Bruce Pearl has to do that for this team. They are not going, no one's going to skate through this tournament. And you're right for Florida and for Texas A&M, that is going to be a game that's going to decide who gets to move on and either be more on the bubble or, or that bubble's going to going to pop. But yeah, see, I, I, I almost think it's the same as two years ago when this team had won five of their last seven and never got to play in the sec tournament. And that was going to be Missouri in the first round. And if y'all remember, it was going to be Auburn again after the Aggies had won at Auburn at the end of the year and spoiled their undefeated home season so the, the parallels are a little fascinating to two years ago where that team seemed to gel at the end of the season as well. I think one of the most refreshing things about covering this team is the fact that Buzz Williams, even though some of the things come across as cliches, they're not cliches. And so when he does say the SEC is a fine line, I mean, you look, the difference between what was it, fifth and tenth is like yes. a game, uh, yes. maybe uh, two games. I mean, it really is. Um, uh, a, a, a fine line there in between all of it. And, and that's kind of case in point um, in, in that. So let, let, let's, let's, oh, and uh, we, I like to play around. Uh, Barttorvik.com has a great little tool on there where you can uh, put in games, put in wins and losses and through their metrics, it kind of shows what the field of 64 and left out. It is by their metrics, a win over Florida and a win over Auburn puts them in the last four buys of the NCAA tournament. So mm. not exact science because it is a committee that puts this through, but they probably need two wins according to their metrics to have a look at that uh, NCAA tournament, just like uh, you were saying. Let, I want to wheel around to everyone with this question once, and then I think Alex, you got one to close us out here, but 
so that let's say that they uh, beat Florida, lose to Auburn or some combination of that, and they end up getting a high seat in the NIT. Is the NIT a step in the right direction for this program? Zach, what do you think? Uh, giving what we saw during an eight game losing streak, I think there would be many that would be happy about it. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to gauge with everything that's gone on these last two years. I mean, obviously, uh, the team was being successful before they were supposed to go to the sec tournament in 2020. So you wonder how, or 20, uh, yeah, 2020. So you wonder how successful that team would have been if they had gotten into the postseason. of course, last year, you got to take that with a grain of salt. So Yes, given given what happened, given the the turnover that occurred in the offseason and bringing in a lot of guys who had never played before together before and being able to end the year the way that they have. And then, of course, hopefully in the SEC tournament, I think there'd be lots of people that'd be happy with the direction of that. Alex, it's year three of buzz. A lot of people are saying it's year three. Year three is when he took Virginia Tech to the to the NCAA tournament. Is, is NIT good enough for year three with the context of everything that's gone on? I say yes. And Travis, we've talked about it a lot. I think you got to say that year two is a mulligan given everything that happened. And, you know, when you look at the pieces that are going to come back, when you look at how Wade Taylor's kind of emerged as a key player in this team, uh, Henry Coleman's definitely, you know, as Andrew said, one of the big three, he's only a sophomore. He's coming back. Uh, you know, Boots Radford, he's going to come back. The pieces are there and the growth has occurred. They're going to, they're going to certainly miss Quentin Jackson moving forward. But yes, I mean, they haven't been to the postseason in like four years. I mean, if you would have told AM fans at the beginning of the season that, hey, AM's going to be ha- having a shot at the SEC tournament to play in the NCAA tournament, but they're going to play in the NIT, I think they probably would have taken it. And it certainly didn't go the way that most people probably would have expected it. But yes, I certainly think this is a step in the right direction. And especially when you consider the pieces that will be coming back next season. Yeah. And Alex, and to your point, a postseason not only would be good for the guy that we mentioned, and I'll throw this to you, Andrew, too, Quentin Jackson, who probably might have played his way into a D league contract with these, this last couple of games, a couple more games under his belt there uh, could be good for him. Uh, kind of same question. And, and those thoughts to you, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, let me start with Quentin Jackson. It, it goes back to what Jimbo Fisher says, put it on film, right? Now it's more film for someone to watch. And I think what helps Q is he's always been a willing defender, which I think helps if he wants to go somewhere next level in professional basketball. You'd start at the beginning of the season. Would you have taken 20 wins? Yes. Would you have taken nine and nine in the conference? Yes. To Alex's point, long and winding road to get there, but that's what you get. I think it's a step forward. And I think the way they're playing at the end of this season makes it a little more memorable and not just for these players, but I think there's some excitement. If you are a recruit, do you want to be a part of this? If you are a transfer, do you want to be a part of this? I think that's also the yes. And if you're, You know how players recruit players. You're going to talk to a Henry Coleman III who is happy to be here. So is Boots Radford with his family. Glad that he's been here. You can play with a dynamic point guard like Wade Taylor IV. I just think, look, there's a lot of times you can play college basketball. Can you play for Buzz Williams? I think they're two different things. That doesn't mean you can't play. Can can you buy in? And that's what this team has done from the the get-go. And you know what you have to do. Uh, you know who you have to be. Uh, you know that you've got to be an OKG, our our kind of guy. I just think it's the excitement. And I think you build from it. And I think it's important that they make the NIT. But then you know what? You don't settle in the future. Then you build from there. But I think it's a great st- next step for this team. 
Definitely. Well, let's close with this because we'd be remiss to not talk a little AM football with spring practice starting. You know, what's maybe one thing as spring practice starts that you kind of got your eye on uh, as, as the Aggies get going here? Uh, Travis, I, I, we can start with you. Oh, cool. I'll, I'll jump right in. Uh, well, I'll take the easy one then since I'm going first. Quarterback battle. Uh, Everyone loves a good quarterback battle. And that is uh, you got – uh, uh, Haynes King, you've got uh, Connor Wigman, you've got Max Johnson. I, I think Haynes King is the the heir apparent with what he was able to do starting last season. And, and then if I'm going to put my money down, I think Connor Wigman might be the number two guy in there with how much Jimbo Fisher raved. You do have some experience in Max Johnson, and he could certainly slide in there and, and be the experienced one. But like that Haynes King, Connor Wigman thing just really intrigues me, and I'm excited to see that. Andrew, we can go with you next. <laughs> Defensive line and how they're going to be able to rotate. I think they've been deeper than they've ever been. And I think that D line, you know, you know, my partner, Dave Elmendorf, despite being on the back end and being the safety, he knows that that front four helps that back seven. And I like the depth that they have. I think they're losing a lot of talented people, but they were able to rotate in a lot of young people. And I think what Elijah Robinson and Terry Price have done uh, for that, for that D line, I'm excited to see that. And I think that back end as well. I think the competition. I think the other thing that we all have to understand, there's not going to be anything decided in the spring on offense or defense. It's going to give us an idea. There's going to be some times where we're going to see guys playing in positions that we won't see in the fall. Jimbo kind of kind of gets a look. This one as well. I was so impressed by what Bryce Foster and Ruben Fathery did on that offensive line, as well as a Layden Robinson, as well as an Aki Agumbi. Interested in that offensive line, that who's going to be where. I don't know if Ruben Fathery got nearly enough credit. I have to chuckle because everything I saw leading up to the postseason and the, and the playoff, they all raved about Will Anderson. You guys remember Will Anderson's name when the Aggies played Alabama? I don't remember him being in a ton of plays. That was a true freshman who did a very nice job against him. And I think those are great building blocks for that offensive line in the future. I'm interested to see what's going to emerge out of this tight end competition. Uh, you have a ton of talent, young talent. Uh, kind of unproven talent in some ways. And, you know, Baylor Cup is the elder statesman there, but who's going to pick up the reins that Jalen Watermeyer left? Uh, you know, who's going to to take over that position? Because a lot is made about the wide receiver position. And, of course, that's a big question mark coming in. But really the, the fail safe, and I think a, a key part of any Jimbo Fisher offense is going to be a tight end. Who is going to fill those shoes? Uh, and that's going to be fun to watch this spring and then, of course, going into the fall. Well, speaking of back ends, Zach Taylor is always bringing up our back end. So thanks. <laughs> thanks for that, buddy. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> anyway, that's all, the time. That. <laughs> that's all the time. I just had to get one Zach Taylor shot into this podcast. One little zinger in there. Okay. I haven't appreciate filled it. my quota yet. So, um, <laughs> It's been you a know, while. Anyway, so th that's all the time we have for the show. Thank Big thank you to Andrew, one of the, the best in the business for what he does. Always great to have him uh, on the show. So thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time. Go find your Cuban sandwich. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Always. So for Alex Miller, Zach Taylor, I'm Travis Brown. This is the My Nation podcast. We'll see you next week. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, the way to must have seen. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good love ain't needs a girl, we know that's true.
make sure you're sticking with me. Don't want 